Good morning, brothers. It's my privilege to do the intro uh, for Kent Stickler, our special speaker this morning. And uh, Tim Abbey has said that uh, if I take more than two minutes, he's going to do something bad to me. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk fast. So Kent Stickler is the president and founder of Stickler Learning. It's an organization that does professional training and leadership training, especially for financial institutions. And his company is so in demand that these guys are booked out like at least a year in advance. Don't we wish our companies, you know, had that kind of demand? That would be amazing. So he's booked out for the whole year. But I don't want to talk about business and professional stuff. More, I want to talk about what he has meant to me uh, as, a, as a friend. He is a, a prayer partner and accountability partner for me for many, many years. And uh, we have been through some dark, difficult times together, both in his family and in my family. And he really is the the fulfillment, the embodiment of the scripture from Proverbs 18.24, which says a friend, there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And so, Kent, thank you for that. He's been a great prayer partner. And guys, if you're not in an accountability group, I urge you to do that because there's three kinds of men in this room. One that is about to get into a bad storm. Two, you're in a bad storm. Number three, you're just coming out of a bad storm. So we need each other. And I know we're not wired that way. We're independent, but we need each other. So always find some brothers, some Christian brothers that can pray for you and jump in your face when you're going down a wrong path. So Kent has been a great blessing to me on that. He's also incredible memorized guy. He's a guy that memorizes scripture. I mean, this guy has hundreds of scriptures memorized. And so he's put me to shame because He's a few years older, you know, than me. He's, I think you hit 75 this month, right? All right, so he's, he's like 13 years older than me, and he outdoes me in Scripture memorization, like, tremendously. So he's been a great inspiration to me. Finally, guys, he can do more pull-ups at age 75 than I could do when I was 20 years old and was working out and I weighed 130 pounds. I mean, this guy is so ripped. It's unbelievable. So I refer to him as Mr. Stickler. So Mr. Stickler, will you please come up and minister to us? Thanks, Charlie. I I don't want to hear what I have to say, Charlie. Would you come back and just keep talking? I mean... (laughs) You know, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but I didn't love others, I'd only be a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I knew all about God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and even if I have enough faith, I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I'd be nothing. If I gave all that I had to the poor, and even sacrifice my own body, I could boast about it. If I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never fails, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speak in unknown languages and spatial knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now, all that I know 
is impartial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God knows me completely. Three things will last. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. That happens to be the greatest love chapter in the Scripture. It's 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 13. And by the way, all my scripture memory is in the New Living Bible. And um, I want to talk to you today about love. And it's an interesting subject, and it's an appropriate subject, because um, today is Valentine's Day. You know, I, I, Charlie, I, I have 178 verses I've memorized. You know... As Charlie mentioned, I'm going to be 75 here in just a few days. And when I got into my early 60s, I started to hear and read, and people would talk to me about one of the things you, you fight when you get older is you, you, you forget things. You have sometimes memory issues, and you worry about these things. And I've been told that if you would, if you would um, exercise your mind and not pull up the rocking chair and stay active and, and not retire... Some of those things that perhaps you could delay this forgetting things and maybe even solve the problem. So I decided about 10 or 15, about 10 or 12 years ago, I'd start working on learning people's names. And that also would start memorizing scriptures. So I started out with 10, and 10 became 20, and 20 became 40, and 40 became 80. And when you get up to 80 or 90, you can start bragging about it. So I, you know, that was a thing. And so it's now up to 178. I'm going for 200. And I can tell you, one of the things that I've learned in memorizing Scripture is it helps you get the mind of Christ. You know, 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who can know enough to teach Him? But we can understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. And I think one of the best ways to get the mind of Christ is to commit to starting to memorize Scripture. And I can tell you, on all my Scripture memorization, one thing that really comes clear to me, there is a lot in the Scripture about the word love. There's a lot about quit worrying, which I need. There's a lot about moral excellence, but there's a lot about love. Oh, for example... Romans 13.9, listen to this one. Romans 13.9 says, For the commandments say you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments can be summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, listen to this scripture. This scripture is, is John 13.35. It says, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciple. John 3.16, now these are out of the living Bible. John 3.16 says, this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, so whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5.8 says, but God showed his great love by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. 
Galatians 5, 22, 23 says, but the, fruit of the, the, but the, the fruits of the Holy Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there's no law. The first word is love. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5, 6, and 7, in view of all this, make every effort to supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. And moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Well, let me take you back to two verses. Let me take you back to Romans 13, 9. Romans 13, 9 says, For the commandments say you must not commit adultery, you must not marry, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. I can tell you Christianity is not about keeping a set of rules. It's about loving your brother. I can tell you it's easier for me to adhere to many of the Ten Commandments than it is to love a couple people I know. My, my son passed away five years ago. He's 47 years old. In fact, he passed away on a Saturday morning. Kurt was coming into this, and I called Kurt, said, and Kurt left this meeting, didn't come to the meeting, came. He was the first person there. And he had a son. He was a single parent. He raised a grandson named Jackson. And Jackson's mother has been very, very difficult. In fact, when Guy passed away, Jackson tried living with his mother. He, she teaches school in a military base, high school, over in Spain. He tried living with her eight years, and it was a disaster. So Jackson came back, and Jane and I have raised Jackson. He's in college now. You know, we just discovered in the last 30 days that she's taken somewhere between eighty dollars and $100,000 out of his trust fund. And she's skimmed part of his Social Security benefits. Eighty to $100,000. I'm telling you, it's hard to love her. It's easier for me to keep the Sabbath, to not take the Lord's name in vain, to not covet, not commit adultery, not murder, not steal. It is easier for me to teach, to keep the Ten Commandments is for the love of that woman. In fact, the only way I can love that woman is through God in me. Let me ask you, I, I, want to, I want you by show of hands. How many of you have got a person somewhere in your life that it's harder for you to love than it is to keep the commandments? Somebody see the hand. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, look at this verse. Let me repeat this verse. John thirteen thirty five. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my brother. I'm listening to Andy Stanley, the pastor of North Point in Atlanta, Georgia, a couple weeks ago, and he quotes, he's speaking about that verse, and he says, you know, the mark of a Christian. The mark of a Christian is not how many scripture verses you know. It's not how much you tithe. It's not how much you go to church. He says, your love for one another will prove to the world. Andy Stanley refers to that as the mark. The mark of a Christian. It's not 178 verses memorized. It's not, my, it's not my tithing record. It's my love for you. That's the mark of a Christian. 
By the way, how will the world know? How, how will my neighborhood, I live in a condominium development, 84 condominiums, I'm on the board. How will my neighbors know I'm a Christian? How, do my, how will my clients know that I'm a, a, a follower of Christ? How will, when I go into Starbucks, I go there every day, how, how do they know that perhaps I'm a Christian? You know, St. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel all the time, and if necessary, use words. If, if preach the gospel all the time, and if necessary, use words. How about your mark? Jason, he has no idea I'm going to do this. Jason is, Jason, raise your hand. Jason has been, he's the new general manager of Locri Mercedes, which has been my car company for years. He's been there eight months, right, Jason? How will, how will the people at Loki know that he's a, a person of faith? Will it be that he comes to church? Will it be your tithing record? Will it be how much money he makes? It will be, Jason, preach the gospel all the time, sometimes use words. So Jason brings two people with him today. He brings Frank. Frank, raise your hand. Frank, I, I love this guy. He's my sales rep. How many of you ever told your car sales rep you love him? That guy's got so much integrity about him. He brings Wes. Wes, if I may. I'm talking to Wes. Just a few moments ago, he says, you realize what's, work, what's like working for a Christian? A, I think you said a person of faith. It's, it's changing, to some extent, it's changing your world. So preach the gospel all the time, sometimes use words. You know the word love is a really tricky word. It's a tricky word. What's it mean? In fact, would you do something for me? Would you just turn to the person sitting next to you, the person's at your table, just for a moment? Would you try something? So I'm going to make you work a little bit. Would you you make an attempt to define the word love? Right now, just right now. Turn to somebody and try to define the word love. Hey, uh, would somebody, would somebody just, does somebody want to try it? Somebody, somebody give it a shot. What's the word definition of love? Serving without expectations. Well, that's a good one. Serving without expectations. Yeah, you know what? That's a really good definition. You know the Greeks, we have one word we use, love, love. And it's an inadequate word. Do you know the Greeks had three? 
And many of you know this. They used the word eros. Eros meant it's, it's the sexual part of love. It's the sexual desire. And it, you know that's very important in relationships, in marriage. They had another word called filio, and I think I'm pronouncing that correct. Filio, something like that. What is it? Fililo. Fililo? Charlie, how do you, what's the correct definition? Filio. Yeah. It, the city of Philadelphia gets its uh, name from, the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia gets its name from this word here. This, this, by the way, is conditional love. I'll love you if you love me. But boy, as soon as you, as soon as you, as soon as I see that on your, I see, I see that you're still texting your old boyfriend. So I'm telling you what, it's over with. You, you said that, I'm telling you to your 16-year-old, I'm telling you what, I'm having nothing to do with you if you do that. You, you didn't give me credit for that project. I'm telling you what, I, it's going to take a lot for me to join your team. And unfortunately, I think a lot of relationships are on that. But there's another love, and this, Jerry, is why I like what you did. There's the word Agape. Agape love. And that's unconditional. That's loving without expectations. I can tell you right now, I suppose when I got married and many years in my life, uh, this was important, the sexual part. I think in my marriage there's been too much, Jane, if you do this, you know, there's been too much of that. But now I've been married 56 years, and you know where I am in my love with Jane? I, I, I feel like I'm more and more here with Jane. No, no strings attached. Um, you want to, I, I'm okay with that. Jane, what, what do you want to do? No, Kent, what do you want? No, Jane, I, I want to know where you want to eat. You know the best definition of love? Let me go back to 1 Corinthians. I'm going to give you the best definition of love. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. By the way, there, there's pens and notepads if you're, if you're a note taker. You know, people remember 10% of what you hear, 25% of what you see and hear, and 50% of what you see and hear, and 70% of what you see here right now and talk about. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous, boastful, proud, or rude. Does not demand, there's no demands, it's not irritable, and it keeps no record of, of being wrong. Boy, is that hard. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. <clears throat> endures through every circumstance, never gives up. I don't think it's possible to have that kind of love without Christ in your heart. I think that is not humanly possible. By the way, I, don't, I lose my mark sometimes. I lose my mark. I, I want to tell you a story. Every other day at the gym... I do through high-intensity training. It's called high-intensity interval training. And I wear a heart strap, and I monitor my heart. And 
You know, if you take your age from the figure 220, that gives you your maximum heart rate. So I take my age 75 from 220, and my maximum heart rate's right around 145. So I try to get my heart rate for a 30-second period up to about 130. Then I rest for a period of time. Then I do it again, and I rest, and then I do it again, and that's called high-intensity interval training. And you can get as good a workout in 20 minutes as you can in one hour by doing that. And my, my watch is wearing out. So I go to a running store here, and I, I go to... Best Buy, and I go to, you know, Sports and Dick's Sporting Goods and so forth, and no one seems to know much about They have watches, but no one explains them to me. And I, so I say, maybe this running store can explain it to me. So I go, and I, they have running watches, and they've got the new kind where you don't have to put the strap. You put, the, you put it right on your wrist here, and, it's very, and it's, it costs me $200. And to make it work, you've got to connect it to your iPad and so forth. So I take it home, and it's... It's not up to date. It doesn't fit the new iPhone 6. It doesn't fit the new iPad, and it won't work. So I package it up perfectly, and I take it back to the store, and I walk in. They say, well, we don't give refunds. We give store credit. And I look around the store, and there's really, I don't think I can buy $200 in merchandise. And I said, well, the product doesn't work. And I proceeded to lose my mark. My voice started to raise, and I started to point my finger. Then I said something I've regretted to this day. I said, with this kind of customer service, your store will be out of business in a year. At that point, I lost my mark. The lady who was the manager, I, I hope she doesn't come to Harborside. <laughs> or maybe I hope she comes to Harborside, just not the second service, you see. But... Uh, Because I was a hypocrite. I lost my mark. About a week ago, I had, Jane and I were having some tension over our grandson, some things going on in his life, and we didn't agree on it. And we're driving in the car, and we begin to yell. And we lose it, and I lost my mark. I lost my mark. In fact, that happens so rarely. That may happen about once a year when we get like that. And we pull up to our house, and she gets out and she slams the door and I say, I'm not going in. So I drive around for about 30 minutes and just to calm down. But I lost. And I tell you right, if that happens over and over again, I'm not sure I have a mark. One of the things that breaks my heart is to have a person profess to be a follower of Jesus and be one of the most difficult people to get along with. They're rude, they're inconsiderate. I don't know what that's all about. Don't know what that's all about. By the way, if I, take a, if I take my fist and point it toward the ceiling with my knuckles pointing to the ceiling, this is my brainstem and this is my spine and this is your limbic system. Then if I take five or six sheets of paper and crumple them up and put them on top of my fist, that's called the neocortex. I'm talking about the brain, of course. Here's the crumpled paper. This is the limbic system. This is referred to as the neocortex. This is the 
cognitive part. This is the technical part. If you're good at math, if you're good at computers, if you're good at numbers, budgets, CPA, CFA, CFP, Certified Financial Planner. In fact, let me ask you, who in the room has from birth been pretty good at math? You're pretty good, and you're also good at computers, figuring computers and so forth. God blessed you genetically with a healthy neocortex. By the way, I'm not one of those. And this has been measured for years by the traditional IQ. And IQ is only half of the picture. This is the people side of your brain. This is where love comes from. This is where leadership comes from. This is where empathy comes from. And this is measured by the new thing, and some of you have heard of this, called EQ, emotional intelligence. And so, and I used to teach a course, the graduate school at University of Wisconsin, every summer I call it, it's a fairly recent, it's called EQ, the other side of smart. You need two wings to fly. And by the way, this is the quickest learning part of it. This work, this learns sometimes in one reading. This is the hardest part of it. It takes hard work sometimes. Love comes from here. And how many of you know a person who is so bright on certain days you can't stand to be around them? How many of you have worked with someone who's the brightest kid in the block, but on certain days they're so moody you don't even want to be in the same room with them? And how many of you know an extremely bright person that seems to have no emotions? Love, you kidding me? Empathy, you kidding me? And 1 Corinthians 13 is not a neocortex deal. It's a limbic system. In fact, this is so hard sometimes for people to get good at this that they need people to help them. They need a coach sometimes. For you people who are in leadership positions, this is twice as important as this. We, in, our, in our association, we had a former president, won't give you his name, he was so bright, but no one could stand him. And he, got vo- he didn't get one vote from the community. They didn't want him around. So we're talking about a very difficult part. I'd like now, just as I wrap up, to give you my five thoughts on how do you build love, how do you maintain it, and how do you restore it if you've lost it. Number one is memorize. Memorize at least five verses from the Scripture. Put them into your head. So number one is memorize five love verses. And if you want the listing of love verses, just let me know. I'll, I'll, I'll email you my, my list. But I'll give, you, I'll give you six right now. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth runs out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every... That's, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. So that's, there's three. 
There's four, I'm sorry, four. Then the Romans 13, 9. For the commandments say you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. 13, Romans 13, 9. John 13, 35. So this would be the sixth verse. Says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciple. Number two, number two, pray every morning that God will fill you with 1 Corinthians 4, 1 Corinthians chapter, try again, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 7, love. By the way, I have, on my iPad, I have my uh, prayer list here. Here it is. It's pretty long. Charlie, you're on there. You and your family's on there for sure. Josh is on there. Sergio, where are you at, Sergio? You're on there, brother. Yep. Kurt. If you want to get on my prayer list, just ask me. Robert, Robert, where are you? Yeah, on it. Let me read you. I have a, a, a series of things for my wife, Jane. But at the end, I have... I want to be patient, kind, and responsive. That's all out of 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. That's what I pray for. With my daughter, I'm praying, among other things, for discernment. And with my grandson, Jackson, I pray for two things, patience and kindness. So I pray every morning based upon... So I pray every morning based upon 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7. So that's my second idea. Number three, put, put the word love into your self-talk. What do I mean by that? For years I've had a speech that I've given called the characteristics of peak performance. Characteristic number four is they keep their self-talk affirmative. There may be someone in the room to say today, uh, you know, I, 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 can't, I can't memorize scripture. I can tell you if you tell yourself that enough, pretty good chance you won't. Sometimes you've got to tell yourself so you start to believe it. You, you talk yourself into it. I want you to do something with me. I want you to repeat the word love out loud. So just repeat it several Love, love, love. All right, would you all repeat it with me? Love, 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 yeah. A little softer, love, love, love. Now whisper it to yourself. So when I left the running store, when I left the running store, I said to myself, that was a good example of love. I reminded myself and my self-talk with chain, boy, you blew that one, Kent. I'm self-talking to myself. So my hint number three is put the word love into your self-talk and just from time to time remind yourself love. Number four, step number four, tell others more often, I love you. Charlie, when you and Kurt and I meet, it's very typical for us to conclude our meeting and say, I love you, brother. Charlie, how often do we text each other and then just say, I love you, brother? And you know, when we're at Starbucks and I say, I love you, and we're leaving people around, I'm always a little funny. That's kind of funny saying to Charlie, I love you. That doesn't, but see, they don't understand agape love. Agape love allows me to love you. 
Last Saturday, I'm working out with my trainer, Donnie Kim, Korean. He's a terrific guy. I've been working with Donnie since 2001, once a week. And I'm telling Donnie a little bit about, I'm preparing for remarks. I'm thinking about calling love. He says, you know, Kent, my father never told me he loved me. He says, I was in law school. It was the University of Maine. I was in law school. And I asked my dad one time when I was in law school. He said, waited that long. Donnie had to be 22, 23. He says, Dad, why, didn't, why haven't you never told me you love me? And his dad said, Donnie, we're Korean. I don't need to tell you I love you for you to know I love you. And Donnie said to me, he says, there were a lot of times I wondered. Kurt, where are you? Could I just twist your arm and could you share the story at Starbucks? Just a couple weeks ago, Kent was sharing this story with me about love. And after he finished, I said, you know, my dad's 80 years old. I know he loves me. But I've never heard him say, I love you. And I thought, you know, that's weird. I'm 54, and I've never heard that from my dad. Now, I know he loves me. I know he does, but I've never heard it. Then I told Kent that when our son was born, I started saying, I love you, Ethan. I love you, Ethan. So he's going to lead worship tomorrow. He's 6'3". He'll come in tonight. I'll put my arms around him. I'll say, son, I'm so proud of you. I love you. But I started that when he was born. I had to break the cycle. But I've never heard my dad say that. Well, this morning I'm up early, and um, my wife normally sleeps late, works late at night and sleeps in. I'm an early riser, and she has this Valentine's card for me this morning. And she wants me to be sure to read it before I come here. It's hard for me. She says, you bring me iced tea every day. You fix lunch every day. You set aside Thursday for us. You always make sure my car is clean. It's always full of gas. We do movies together at home. You give me chocolate on Valentine's Day. We walk together every night. You give me gift cards from Nordstrom's. You visit with me Guy's grave. You replace me on the board. She didn't like being a board, so I replaced her. And she's gone through and listed about 20 things I've done all these years. You know, I want you to tell your spouse you love her every day. And I want you to get creative. I want you to sometimes do it with a card, chocolates, roses, text her, write her, tell her every day. I want you to tell your children every day, particularly if they're home. If children are away, I don't care what you do, get creative. And by the way, in our brain, we have something called mirror neurons. And mirror neurons, the only job they have is to reflect back what we did. By the way, the smile is the most contagious emotion of all. It has the irresistible force to have the other person smile back at you. And when you tell somebody you love them, that's what you get back. 
And if you're not getting enough love, people telling you, chances are very good it's not it's you not giving it to them. Step number five, clean up mess ups. I'll explain. So step number one is to memorize at least five verses. Step number two is pray. First Corinthians 13, prayer into your life daily. Got to remind yourself. Number three is start doing some self-talk. Add the word love to your self-talk. Number four is tell people more often, I love you. And number five is clean up, mess up. So the lady at the watch store says, you know, if you want to text the owner and ask him, you can do so. And she gave me this. So I went home and I emailed the owner and told him the story that it didn't work. And he writes me back the most gracious email. He says, I'm so sorry. He says, we have this policy because people come into our store, they try on our running shoes and various things. They go home, they get the right size, they go home, find it on the internet for a less price and they bring it back and he said, we've established. And I said, boy, that makes a lot of sense to me. But he said, in your case, we sold you a product, doesn't work, go back to the store and we will exchange, I will advise the store to give you your full refund. So the next day I go back to the store. And here comes the manager where I lost my mark. I said to her, I said, I'm so sorry for the way I acted on Monday. I said, my comments were totally inappropriate. And you're worth more than that. I shouldn't treat you that way. And she looked at me. I thought I might need the smelling salts. I think she was about ready to faint. I went back and cleaned it up. You know, the next morning, I, that night after having that argument with Jane, I woke up a couple of times in the evening in the middle of the night thinking about how I'd blown it. The next morning, I go off to the gym. I come back about 10.30. Jane's now up, and I walk in and say, Jane, I apologize for last night. I, I, I sometimes say, Jane, I think I was demon-possessed last night. <laughs> I wasn't at my best. I don't want to treat our relationship that way. Actually, I think that's the most important step. In fact, I think agape love is so challenging that you almost have to fail your way to success. I don't think you leave based on my speech this morning and forever now you have agape. I think you go out of here, a couple days you're pretty good and then you blow it. You lose your mark and you come back and you restore it. And I close with my favorite, one of my favorite verses. It's Ephesians. Do you see how having scripture inside you can really help? And I close my remarks, and I'll turn it then over to Ray. Uh, it's, it's Ephesians 3, 20, 21. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might think or dream. Glory to him in the church throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you so much for being a wonderful audience.